A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 440. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Mr. Corbett's Ghost. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. This is a 1987 ITV single standalone ghost story, runs about 55 minutes, and this fits into our Christmas ghost story tradition because it was broadcast in that season it was directed by danny houston and features performances from hollywood legends paul schofield john houston the father of the director and burgess meredith so it's rather interesting for the people involved and it is about this young man who makes a deal with a mysterious stranger and learns to regret it when he faces the consequences he does indeed facing up to the consequences of his own actions and last time we left young benjamin partridge after he'd made this delivery of a late night request for medication to the stranger in the strange house in the strange woods it's New Year's Eve, young Benjamin would much rather be at the party with his family and friends, but instead he finds himself uncomfortably burdened, struggling with the constant presence of the ghost of his dead employer, Mr. Corbett's ghost of the title. Yes, and it's a ghost that he tries very hard to hide from other people, or to hide the fact that this is a ghost rather than just a person, and one that will convince him of the error of his ways and lead to something of a happy ending. As ever, we don't like to give too much away about the endings, but we would say that the morality tale does play out in a sort of traditional seasonal fashion. And Benjamin sort of gets a second chance, I'd say, Brian. Yes, that's right. And we have spoken about ghost stories in the Christmas season and the popularity of ghost stories in December and the holiday period We've talked about this a lot now. Absolutely. I mean, it's a tradition that dates back centuries, but of course was extremely well popularised by Charles Dickens himself and, of course, by the great English ghostwriter M.R. James, a name that we have mentioned probably... (laughs) as much as anybody else when we've been talking about British Invaders, Brian. Maybe so. I think those two authors, Dickens and James, may have brought about a resurgence of the Christmas ghost story tradition in the 19th and early 20th centuries. And, of course, the reason we've talked about them is that many of these ghost stories have been filmed and we have been absolutely delighted to cover them over the last 14 years here on British Invaders. I noted by searching at britishinvaders.com that probably the first one we did was the stone tape the Nigel Neal ghost story that was back in episodes 53 and 54 of British Invaders in September 2009 
And then only a short while later, in episodes 57 and 58, also in 2009, we did our first Mr. James episodes. I noticed, Brian, that we, we, we weren't quite then stuck on the idea of doing them in December, but of course that has become somewhat of a tradition for us since then, I think, of doing the ghost stories in December. <laughs> yes, that's right. It took us a couple of years to get around to doing ghost stories and then a little bit longer to think about them as a seasonal event to do every December. But that is something that we enjoy doing and we've covered quite a few that way. And what you can see, the ghost story can be seen as sort of a hopeful confirmation of the existence of life after death, but it can also also be a rather intense warning about the dangers of meddling with the past or messing with things that are supernatural and so on. Yes, you, you probably know whose stories we're talking about when we make that reference. But we can also see ghost stories. Some of them are quite fierce morality tales stories of redemption, stories of opportunities towards the end of the year to change our behaviours and become better versions of ourselves. And, you know, I think it goes without saying that probably the most famous ghost story of all time, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, is probably the best example of this, Brian. Oh, yes, absolutely. And Dickens in The Christmas Carol and also other stories like The Signalman combine those ideas with highlighting classism and the plight of the working class and so on. And of course, you also have the Frank Capra classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, that can also be seen in a similar similar vein. And then with the one we're talking about now, Mr. Corbett's Ghost, we find young Benjamin Partridge making a decision that he comes to regret, which, you know, we see in these rather horrible consequences that he has to deal with. And we even get a sort of Scrooge-like redemption for Mr. Corbett, played by Paul Schofield. So with this sort of powerful morality message and a redemption story, it's perhaps no surprise that this was broadcast just around about New Year's Eve 1987. But as we detailed in our last episode, I am perplexed by the odd listing time I found in a TV archive, um, which suggests it was buried away in the early hours of the morning on the 30th. If anybody can explain that, as I put out last time, please do get in touch. Yeah, you would think that something with these big names involved would have a different time slot rather than a, a 1 a.m. But it's very much a New Year's story set at New Year's. So having it broadcast around New Year's Eve in 1987 is very nice. And you mentioned big names involved. And that brings me to a little side note about British Invaders and the Oscars, because this film has got, th you know, three Oscars in, in, in the cast and crew, as it were, or in two of the actors have three Oscars between them. Many, many more nominations as well. And I'll also quickly note that the Houston family, I think, have pulled off a rare generational record because... 
three generations of the same family have all won Oscars. That's Walter Houston for The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, then John Houston, who won two Oscars for that film, and then Angelica Houston wins an acting Oscar for Pritzi's Honor many years later and completes a sort of an amazing family linkage through the Oscars. Yeah, it's really that type of group that we have involved here that have those Hollywood credentials and the Oscars too. And it's not the first time that we've shouted out Academy Award winners on this podcast. In fact, I'm almost thinking I should be tracking Oscar winners who've turned up in episodes or in uh, shows that we've covered. Another one of those projects that I probably wished I should have started a bit earlier on, Brian. Is this another ongoing counting project, Damon? Probably it will be, Brian. <laughs> up there with, you know, annotating or at least noting the canonical doctors who appear in other shows, canonical masters, canonical Bond villains I've been doing. I'm going to have to publish all these on the Facebook page at some point, but I will now be trying to make a record of every time we've covered an Oscar winner in one of our shows. We did actually cover a show that won an Oscar way back when we did the war game. Indeed, yes. And I guess Wallace and Gromit may have won an Oscar as well. I will do the list at some point, Brian. (laughs) Very nice. I would almost consider, with my interest in the Academy Awards, I'd almost consider a podcast project if there wasn't already the very good Best Pick podcast where they reviewed all the best film award winners in no particular order. A podcast that you introduced me to, Brian. Yes, that's an excellent one. I don't think we can compete with Best Pick for covering those sorts of things. They got there before us, yeah. So I think it's time that we get into some of our own thoughts about Mr. Corbett's ghost more than we already have. So, Eamon, what did you like about Mr. Corbett's ghost? Well, let's start with the look the feel, the sound of the production and say, actually, they spent that £600,000 quite well, Brian, I think. I think the costumes are good. I think the makeup is good. I think taking it to that preserved Tudor village for exterior shooting works really well. And I like John Cameron's music as well, which seems to fit the period nicely. So in terms of the look, sound and feel of the production, I like all that, Brian. What about yourself? I do like that. I think it worked well. It very much has the feel of a short film. You know, not a hugely high-budget movie, but it definitely has a film look rather than a typical TV look. And yeah, that all of that worked very well. I would also say that the the cast, along with all these big credits and accolades we can talk about, I think they did very well. I enjoyed the performances in this a lot. Yes, it's astonishing stuff when you've got Paul Schofield, John Huston and Burgess Meredith up there absolutely terrific. John Huston, I think this was his last proper on-screen role. I know there's a later credit which includes includes footage of him that was shot in the 1970s, but this is, I think, his last proper role before he sadly passed away a year later. I think they're all astonishing. I would say, slight caveat, that Mark Farmer, the young chap who plays Benjamin Partridge, he may struggle a little bit against those screen legends, but I don't think that's too surprising 
surprising, to be honest, Brian. They are such, you know, immense acting talents. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I think his performance was still solid and he did what it needed to do. And, you know, it's this classic thing where often the main character of something is the less interesting one and everyone else surrounding them is more interesting there was some amount of that in this but you did get some nice things from that character too i've mentioned locations in kent great stuff i think that the woods look fantastic suitably spooky for this sort of show so all that's good what about the writing brian this script that they found based on this children's ghost story i think it was it was okay it was reasonably solid it told the the story it needed to this feels like more of a director's piece and a performance piece than a story and writing piece to me so it it was okay and it's interesting you mentioned that because obviously as you say brian it has the look and feel of a short film clearly from a director and a producer quite early in their career it is comes in under the hour it's a straightforward adaptation of an existing story it's compared to some of the ghost stories we've talked about brian it sort of tends towards the more comical than scary i found yes i think that's fair and Yeah, in going a little bit more into the negatives, I found at times it was a little bit dull. Like, I liked what they were doing with it, but it was a little bit dull at times. Yes, and there's a very neat ending that sort of ties everything up quite nicely and gives everybody the second chance that sort of, again, I think betrays its origins as a children's ghost story where we don't want to leave the audience too unsettled at the end. I was not surprised to learn that Barry Navidi and Danny Houston were film students together running around working on all their little student projects and this was their first professional project as it were it has that slight film school feel to it doesn't it yeah i think it was well directed but it doesn't you know sort of go out and do lots of you know do extra interesting things with it it's well directed but it keeps to the basics i'd never seen this one before brian and i wonder Uh, I mean, 1987 was a busy time for me when I wasn't watching too much television. But I do wonder about why it seems to have been buried away in the TV schedules. And I wonder if it was seen by a lot of people and whether any of our listeners can remember seeing it at the time. Because like I say, I couldn't find too much promotion of it or anything other than that one strange listing in a TV archive. Yeah, it does sort of... It's an interesting piece, but it's a little bit slight, and certainly in story, it's a little bit slight, and it feels like as much as I like things that take a measured pace and are not too fast in their storytelling, I think with this story, when it's done as a 55-minute thing, it needed a little bit more to it, either some extra embellishment to the story or some extra things done with the 
the direction and the characters. And I suspect they probably would do that now. I think if Danny Houston had another pass at this, he would probably change things up and put some extras in there that he's learnt in his long Hollywood career. It does, as I say, it does feel like a first film. Um, It's quite good, but it doesn't have much in the way of scares. Uh, It just has that astonishing cast who are doing great stuff on screen. Was there anything else you noticed in the goods or bads column, Brian? I don't think so. I think we may be coming around to doing recommendations here. Okay, shall I start us off? Yes, go ahead. Well, surprisingly, having said a few sort of damning things about it in our pros and cons, I'm actually going to say that for 99p this holiday season, it is worth a watch. I would say it's worth that 99 pence. Don't expect it to have some of the real sort of chills of an MR James adaptation, but you will see an astonishing cast. You will see Danny Houston at the start of his career doing some interesting stuff. It gets it over and done quite quickly. So for me, it's a cautious recommendation, Brian, partly because it's so cheap. I will just say that the 15-minute short of documentary that goes with it, I found delightful. And if I can find that on YouTube, I will post a link to it on the Facebook page. What about yourself? So I'm also going to give a cautious recommendation, maybe slightly more cautious. It's an interesting piece to look at for sort of performances and sort of the the tone and the atmosphere of it, which I quite liked. But it is far from the strongest ghost story that we've seen. And I would recommend the ghost stories for Christmas of various eras that we've talked about on the BBC over this. I would recommend the ITV casting the runes over this and I guess a number of the the ghost stories that we've talked about. However, it's an interesting piece and if you can look at it on the inexpensive rentals and maybe look at that documentary if uh, if it's available somewhere, yeah, it's okay. So, cautious recommendation from me. Okay, uh, but if you can remember watching this when it came out or have seen it since or if you're a fan of the works of Leon Garfield, please drop by the Facebook and the socials and let us know what you thought. Oh yes, please do. So, in summary, Mr. Corbett's ghost introduces us to a young Benjamin Partridge who is a pharmacist's assistant and is stuck doing this late-night delivery on New Year's Eve at the insistence of his terrible boss, Mr. Corbett, and he ends up making this wish that his boss would die, and we get the be careful what you wish for story of him being haunted by his boss's ghost and see the story of that and end up with an actual reasonably positive outcome in a second chance interesting stuff let us know what you think absolutely and please come back and join us for a new year of episodes on british invaders and next time we start with what has become a sort of mini january tradition because we're looking at terry pratchett's Discworld, and this time we are joining the adventures of the watch on a series from 2021 that was a BBC Studios production for BBC America and 
ended up on Amazon as well. So quite a lot to talk about next time, Brian. Yes, absolutely. We'll have lots to talk about with the show and some of the controversies and reactions to it as well. Until then, you can find all of our episodes at BritishInvaders.com, back from the very beginning in 2007. And if you look for ghosts in our search box there, you'll find a few of them from previous years. And if you search for British Invaders on Facebook or British Invaders Podcast on Instagram or Threads, you can find us on all of those and join in on some of the conversations and maybe we can talk about seasonal supernatural tv shows and some of our favorites absolutely drop by the socials and let us know what you're thinking of the christmas ghosts what you're going to be watching this year and come and join us at the voice of geeks network you'll find us at vognetwork.com british invaders a proud member of the voice of geeks tell them brian and Eamon said hello absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much for your company until next time it's obviously Eamon in England saying be very careful what you wish for 